Welcome to the University of Tennessee Oral History of Title IX, a special series highlighting how Lady Balls have pioneered this landmark legislation's impact across the state of Tennessee and around the world. I'm Dr. Sarah Hillier, founder of the UT Center for Sport, Peace, and Society, and your co-host for this extraordinary journey through time. And I'm Lavana Martin-Floriel, a two-time Olympian in track and field, 1989 UT alumna and fellow co-host. My time in Knoxville enabled me to chase my Olympic dreams while pursuing my education, learning lessons along the way that helped pave a pathway for my greatest goal of a silver medal at the 1992 Olympics. But my story isn't completely unique. Since 1972, generations of Lady Bulls have broken glass ceilings in the sports world as well as within U.S. society. The Lady Ball brand has become one of the most recognizable in women's sports and sports in general. This is not by accident. It is thanks to many of the women you'll meet throughout this series. We refer to these extraordinary women as Title IX Titans in recognition of their trailblazing accomplishments and ability to lay the foundation for today's athletes, coaches, and administrators to follow in their footsteps. That's why the 50th anniversary of Title IX in June of 2022 is a critical milestone. These are the stories that we'll unpack with our guests through their own Title IX experiences. So buckle up, audience. We're about to cover 50 years of Title IX from the perspective of Lady Ball athletes, coaches, and administrators. In this exciting chapter, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome UT softball standout Raven Siobhan. The 2011 SEC champion helped UT softball to some of its finest seasons under co-head coaches Karen and Ralph Weekly, and also propelled Team USA to the podium at the 2014 World Championships. Raven, welcome. We are so incredibly glad to have you today. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, very good. Um, okay, your name has always been something so fun for all of us Lady Ball softball fans. So what are some of the, the ways that your teammates refer to you with your name and, and the way it appears, not necessarily the way it's pronounced? Oh, um, nothing too exciting. Everyone has always called me Raven, but like my really close friends, they actually called me like Rave. Um, so a little fun fact, but I guess with softball, I guess the cool ways people would use my name is like in those softball cheers. I always had a couple teammates who are really creative with coming up with those cheers and they would make ways to rhyme my first and last name together. I absolutely remember that. Well, so you were born in Oxnard, California. So help us set the scene what your own story into sport was like as a little girl. Yeah, so I was born in Oxnard, California, but grew up in Thousand Oaks, California, which is, you know, just a suburb, maybe 30, 35 miles north of Los Angeles. And I got into sports by chance. Um, I had relatively young parents. And when I became like a toddler, they would sign me up at like the local rec center for like daddy and me, like coloring, daddy and me, arts and crafts. And when I got too old uh, to do those, they started having series called like Top Soccer, Top T-Ball, Top Basketball. And that was my first introduction into sports. I started playing uh, with toddlers my own age, around three and four years old. And my, according to my father, uh, my dad said that he saw me just, you know, dominating as like a three and four year old. 
Um, and he was like, wow, like she has something. And of course, my mom is all she's three. OK, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of my story. And then once I got old enough to join our local rec league, I played uh, soccer, basketball and softball year round until I was about 14. Um, and then once I hit about high school, I decided to pick one sport to focus on, which was softball and got me to UT. And here I am now. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Love hearing that. So let's talk a little bit about what brought you to UT, because we know that you played under legendary coach Karen Weekly. What was that like? And what are some of the ways that um, coaches teachings are still with you today? Yeah. So what brought me to UT was just the SEC um, atmosphere, really, you know, growing up in Pac-12 country, um, I was always, you know, drawn to those power five conferences. But mm -hmm. uh, when I went on my visits, um, me and Karen really did hit it off uh, when it comes to just mindset. So Karen is a tough coach who wanted to bring the best out of her players. And she sets those high expectations and she holds that standard. Like she doesn't lower it. And that was something that I really connected with. You know, I was like a 16 year old, 15 year old at the time. She also put like a really strong emphasis on grades. And during my recruiting process, she was actually the only coach out of all the schools I visited that didn't limit majors. A lot of the times when you're visiting school, coaches will be like, oh, you can't do this major or that major. It takes too much time or it's not possible to accommodate the labs. Where Karen, you know, the scholar and her being a, a lawyer was like, oh no, like we'll work around that. We had some of our top athletes coming 45 minutes late to practice because, you know, they had a lab. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just spoke volumes because we are athletes, but that's not what defines us. So that mindset um, that she had around academics really stuck with me. And it's something I still use in my everyday life. Those high expectations that she set for us, I set those for myself now as, you know, a 30-year-old. I set them mm -hmm. for my students as a teacher my mm -hmm. family and my friends, and I don't lower it. And then also with Karen's emphasis on grades specifically, it made me a better student when I was in college. In high school, I was like, I mean, I was a good student. I probably had a 3.6. I had A's and B's, the occasional C. But when I went to college, I graduated summa cum laude and was in like the top 10% of my class, which is something I never thought was possible. And Karen really helped motivate me to get there. Mm. Hey, uh, Raven, you graduated summa cum laude. Do you know what I always say? I graduated. Thank you, laude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But congratulations. And and we value so much Karen's commitment to mm -hmm. the student first and then the athlete in excellence. And what a testament to her commitment to girls' educational experience to do that. Because you're right. A, a lot of student athletes are limited and gosh I mean that's the trajectory of your life so all right Lavana, back over to you after I graduated thank you Laud excellent excellent and and I love what you said too because coaches can make such a big difference mm -hmm. in our lives which then as um, Sarah just said is you can make the difference in the next generation's life which is what you're doing right now so for our audience we love often to peel back the curtains of what was happening behind the scenes in the push for Title IX and gender equality at UT, because even though this seminal legislation was enacted in 1972, we all we know that the fight for true equality persists. 
is there a story or is there a person or is there a memory that sticks out to you that gave you a better perspective about the role in, of Title IX in your own softball career? So I think when it comes to the University of Tennessee in itself, I think like a critical moment or a memory would be my friends who maybe played at other schools and mm -hmm. seeing what they were going through and what their facilities were like mm -hmm. compared to what we were given at the University of Tennessee. So while I feel like the University of Tennessee was, you know, embracing and championing, um, you know, women athletes, that wasn't the case anywhere. So as a now 30-year-old looking back, I can appreciate all those things were at, the, at, were at the time. I didn't realize how lucky I truly was. And one individual who, of course, comes to mind automatically is Joan Cronin mm -hmm. um, and everything, you know, she's done for women's sports and our university in general. Um, so that's kind of my reflection, I mm -hmm. guess you could say now post uh, play. Mm -hmm. I love it because, you know, many of the people we've talked to do mentioned, of course, Joan Cronin, but also facilities, the Lady Vol logo, and how important those things were. And all of those things, it's a demonstration that UT is putting their money where their mouth is to make sure that, that we're competitive in all those areas. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite Lady Vol memory? And I don't know if, if there's one that maybe relates to gender equity, Title IX, uh, or just the sisterhood that came from, you know, being on campus as a Lady Vol. Yeah, I mean, oh, goodness. I, I mean, it was such an incredible four years. But I guess to answer in two ways, I guess like my favorite overall memories are, of course, you know, just being on the field and being with your teammates and really just like the friendships I gained. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm still very, very close with former Lady Vols, uh, Madison Shipman Sanders, Lauren Gibson, whose last name's now Reed, um, Catherine Dotson Terea and Kat Hosfeld Fritz. And those are girls that I, I mean, I literally just had them at my bachelorette party like two months ago. So <laughs> um I guess, you know, just those friendships are my favorite memories and that sisterhood that I still have. And then I guess in terms of like related to Title IX, I think it would just be the overall support we got from like the community, which again was like on par with our male counterparts and some mm -hmm. like even greater in all honesty. Like we had so much exposure. We had televised games. We had billboards around Knoxville we had sold out crowds uh, when we came back from the World Series we had crowds waiting for us and those are just things where you know as an 18 19 20 year old I just thought that was expected but again looking back I'm like that's not normal mm -hmm. <laughs> um so I would say you know because the University of Tennessee really invested in women's sports that's what made you know um support possible like from our community sure mm -hmm. When you think about the Lady Vol brand, whether you think of it as just a logo or this larger concept of, of what a brand represents, what do you think makes the Lady Vol brand different or stand out from other university brands or even women's sports brands? I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know if we were like the first original logo, but 
just having the own logo for women's sports, like everyone knew what that was. Mm -hmm. Everyone knew the difference between the Lady Ball logo and the Power Tee. Mm -hmm. And I really just think that a top university, a top athletic program having that and having that during a time, again, where women's sports weren't championed and there's obviously still room for growth even now, but that just really set Tennessee apart from everyone, in my opinion. And again, that's reflected in the athletic department, in the facilities, into like the recruiting process and sending our coaches for softball, which at the time wasn't a revenue building sport, to California, to, you know, New Jersey to recruit these players. Um, so I think just that logo just really champions excellence and also just and really embracing, embracing and celebrating women's sports. Excellent. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I love it. So Raven, now that you, I mean, you're a whopping 30 now. And as you said, you, you've had time to look back. Do you think in terms of how you view yourself as an ambassador of UT and its Title IX legacies or gender equity legacies? Goodness, it's so weird to think of myself in that way. Um, but I guess just like as a representative, like I'm not only Lady Vol softball, but just, you know, the University of Tennessee athletic department in general. I guess, you know, in terms of like my like legacy, I just hope to be an example of when it comes to like academics community, you know, I hope that the future lady balls have that same mentality that what you do off the field with that position of power and influence we are given as athletes is just as, if not more important than our athletic contributions. And I truly feel like many lady ball athletes embody that. And I see that legacy continuing. And I want that to be like the standard, you know, for as long as, you know, there's the lady ball athletic department. Right, right. Well, let's think about it from this perspective, like without Title IX, like how mm -hmm. does your life turn out differently? And I'm thinking of it in perspective of the lessons or the skills that you learned yeah. that have helped you in your career. You said you were an educator. So yeah. how has what you learned helped you in your current career? Well, I mean, without Title IX and just, you know, the ability to play sports, I mean, my life turns out very differently. I mean... I am, you know, I'm a person of color. I'm a first generation college graduate and sports helped me get there. Like statistically on paper, I'm not supposed to be where I am. Hmm. And sports opened doors to so many opportunities to meet me, the person, the wife, the teacher, the daughter, the friend I am today. It gave me those skills to just patience, grit, communication, drive, things that I use every day in my job, in my home life, um, you know, just everywhere. And definitely without Title IX, things are drastically different. Um, mm -hmm. I think I still would have been successful, but um, I don't think it would have been to the standard that I am fortunate enough to be at to this day. And so looking ahead, what do you think or what are your hopes for Title IX, let's say in the next 50 years? Because now the next 50-year group, they're going to look towards you, right? As yeah, the, uh, the, the ancient one. <laughs> yeah, I know it's hitting hard. It's hitting hard. Uh, my hope is that in the next fifty years, um, women can actually make a real living in the United States playing the sport they love. Mm. And um, and I do, I do think that starts in college, and I think where 
seeing changes in that already with the NIL mm-hmm. and women not having to go to overseas or work extra side jobs or choose between making money or playing the sport they love. So that's pretty much my hope is I hope in the next 50 years with the help of Title IX and the growth of college athletics and college softball that women can actually make a real living in this country, mm-hmm. you know, doing it just like the guys do. And have you noticed, Dr. Sarah, we've talked to several women and NIL has come up like almost in every conversation. With it has. And, and it's so interesting because there's such a hot debate around if name, image, and likeness issues will be a detriment and pull us back uh, in the gains that we've made in Title IX for women. But it sounds like the perspective of Lady Balls is, no, actually, we think that this could expedite uh, the role that women play. It's very interesting. Well, and, and, and if you think about it from the perspective of the inequity between men and women's sports, for women, I'm assuming, it makes us feel like, okay, so we can have a greater impact in our own journey with regards to um, promoting ourselves and then being compensated for that. So, yeah, I, I wish I was in this time frame. Uh, for sure. Raven, you probably do too. How would you have approached it if you were a student athlete now with NIL and, and in your favor? Oh, goodness. Things are so different now. I mean, even just social media. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't even have an Instagram until, like, my senior year. It just wasn't a thing. So I think social media really plays a big part in it. Like, a lot of these young superstars are. Like, you know, you have, you know, Montana Fouta, Alabama, you know, that has a 100, over a 100,000 followers on Instagram. And good for her. And she gets that money, you know, for representing herself. And it also, you know, as we said earlier, it's helping her sport. It's branding it. It's getting its name out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really do think it is important. And um, even things such as, you know, just jerseys. Um, I definitely remember being at the University of Tennessee and I had a very unique number um, for softball, it was 88. That was not a common number. <laughs> Everyone would joke about why do I have a football number? Yep. Um, and I always had to explain why I had that number. But we would have 88 Tennessee softball jerseys, you know, everywhere. And that was obviously because of, you know, me. But you couldn't put my name on the back of it because then it would have been a violation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think now it is a really great opportunity, especially for female athletes, because speaking to that inequity, um, I feel like it's going to give those female athletes a chance to brand themselves, to represent themselves, which even before the NIL, I feel like male athletes were still in a way able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And listen, you can't leave us hanging with the story of 88 and not tell us why. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so... Okay, I grew up in, you know, a Los Angeles suburb. And, mm-hmm. of course, growing up, um, I was a Laker fan. And my dad took me to my first playoffs game in 97. I was in kindergarten. And in that moment, I fell in love with Kobe Bryant. Of course you did. I wanted to be Kobe Bryant. Um, so he was number eight all the, at the time. And so for every jersey, for every sport I had, I was number eight. And then when he changed his number to 24... Mm-hmm. I remember feeling super anxious. I was like, well, my idol, my hero, the reason like I play sports just changed their number. Like I need to do it. 
but I had such an emotional attachment to number eight. I literally had hundreds of jerseys with this number. I was like, well, I'll change it, but I'll just double it. So that's where the 88 came from. It's, it's a, you know, in honor of, you know, the late Kobe Bryant. No, what a cool story. (laughs) Um, Oh my goodness. Well, you mentioned earlier your hopes for the next 50 years of Title IX is that women athletes can earn enough to make a living as a professional athlete so that they don't have to go overseas, have a second career, a second season, hustle to make it work. When we think about overseas and the travels and your own international experiences, is there anything that you have observed in other countries or that caused you to say, wow, we're really lucky here because of Title IX and maybe any of your hopes for women around the world who don't have a policy like we've benefited from? Yeah, so over my five years with Team USA, you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel to many, you know, different countries. And there's obviously, you know, certain um, places where we've been where they don't have something, you know, as simple as a tarp to put on the field when it rains. Mm -hmm. So that, again, that just makes you really humble yourself. And, um, but I guess when it comes to Title IX and, you know, the impact here, like in the U.S. specifically, I've been fortunate enough to the places I have traveled. It's been places, you know, like Japan, Europe, Canada, where the facilities are, you know, pretty good. Um, But I think I've seen a big impact with foreigners coming into the United States to play D1. Ah, okay. Tell us about this. Yeah. So I feel like that really helps our sport because many of the national teams, such as Canada, Mexico, Australia, you know, Netherlands, Britain, they all have athletes playing, you know, in the NCAA. And it helps our sport grow internationally and be more competitive globally, which is a big part in why I think international play has gotten so much stronger in the last five, 10 years. And then like one of the only countries that doesn't have um, athletes playing in the NCAA is Japan, but Japan is also the one country that their female athletes can actually make a living playing. And that's where a lot of the United, or not a lot, you can only have one on a team, but every year there's like three or four um, American players that go and play in the JSL league in Japan. And I mean, they make more money in one year that they would make, you know, in five years here. I love that perspective. And you're so right. And Lavana, from your travel travels overseas, uh, anything to share with Raven as far as your perspective on gender equity, just as you've traveled the world? Um, well, it's been so long. And it in my sport, you know, I, I'll say this, this this will age me. The the highlight of my uh, travel experiences was when the wall came down in Germany. As a matter oh, of fact, wow. I have a, I have a piece of the wall. Do um, you? Yeah, I do. And they gave it to us as a memento in, in one of those East German meets that I ran. Um, and recognizing how vastly different opportunities were for people. And now that I'm older thinking what that must've been like for women, mm-hmm. like, I, I never even thought about that for myself at the time that, you know, I'm, I too am a woman of color and recognizing that, you know, I'm, I was standing on the shoulders of giants 
and people that came before me, but I never really thought about like, what were the experiences of those women who were behind the wall? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful to think about. Oh, absolutely. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot to be thankful for, for sure. Well, Raven, thank you again so much for joining us uh, for another edition of UT's Title IX Oral History. Uh, I've, Like I said, I've, I've learned so much and it's been a blast. So this is the time where you'll appreciate this, Raven, as, a, as an educator and a teacher. Mm-hmm. Lavana and I always give our takeaways or our lessons learned. So Lavana, <laughs> over to you, to your takeaway from Raven's uh, conversation. Yeah, Raven, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. And my takeaway is this, because as a woman of color, I understand greatly how much the people who came before me have paved the way. And so when I think about Coach Karen Weekly and what she did in terms of being a Title IX Titan and sending that elevator down to you, I am so excited about you now being in a position to be an influence and be an educator. And I'm excited to see how you send that back down and help young girls to, to be able to, to, to go after their dreams. Awesome. I, okay, my takeaway is, I think, twofold. One, uh, Raven, you indicated just how front and center Joan Cronin was and just her tireless efforts that maybe you all weren't even seeing or learning about, uh, but you reaped the benefits. And I think the willingness for women to fight on behalf of other women mm-hmm. and then the the blessing that each of us receives in that. The second is also to someone in a position of leadership and, and had power. And that is what you said about Karen and Lavana. I know you'll say, yeah, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how Karen let you pursue the academic major that you wanted and really prioritized you and your teammates as students first and athletes second, realizing that you're a whole person and you're here for education and this really matters to your future. And that she holds you all to accountability and has a super high standard, uh, which I think you resonated with you. So those would be my takeaways. Uh, any, any takeaway for you, uh, Raven, from from having this conversation? Yeah, no, it was just um, great to kind of reflect, you know, again, now as, you know, an adult and really just look back at the things that. I just wasn't aware of as a, like, again, an 18 through 22 year old and um, just really being thankful for all the opportunities and the lessons that really paved the way for me to be where I am today. This has been another important chapter in the UT Oral History of Title IX project recorded in February 2022 and made possible through the generous support of the University of Tennessee Center for Sport, Peace, and Society.